What's up, Bandive crew? James here. And before we jump into this episode, I wanted to ask you a question. Have you ever wished there was a way to connect with me as well as other listeners in real time? I have the solution. I finally got around to making a Bandive Discord server, which is people have been asking me for years and I just wasn't listening. I wish I had done this sooner because I couldn't be happier with the results. It's been fantastic. And we would love to see you join us. We have discussions about the music business, gear, the podcast, and a general channel as well. You can join the discussion now by visiting bandhive.rocks slash discord. Again, that is bandhive.rocks slash discord. Welcome to episode 137 of the Bandhive Podcast. You're listening to the Bandhive Podcast, the number one online resource for DIY bands to learn about the music business and touring. If you want to turn your band into a lean, mean touring machine, you're in the right place. Now, let's get this show on the road. It is time for another episode of the Bandhive Podcast. My name is James Cross, and I help independent artists tour smart. This week on the show, we're going to talk about running sound for your own gigs, which was inspired by something that I saw a Facebook friend of mine, Josh Coat, who's down in the uh, Rutland, Vermont scene, post about running sound for your own gigs and why artists shouldn't necessarily be doing that for free. And I fully agree with that. Artists should never be running their own sound for free. So a little background. At the top level of touring, so in your arenas and amphitheaters, large venues like that, you would need to bring your own sound and lights. So if you go see like Slipknot or somebody, there's a very good chance that either they're bringing their own sound and lights that they have, or they are having the promoter rent sound and lights from a local production company who brings it in for that show. A lot of times, these large venues won't even have a system. Amphitheaters typically would, but arenas, they're not going to have a PA system set up for a concert. They would have something for you know sporting events, but they're not going to have a PA that supports massive concerts. And then, of course, lights is something totally different. I'm not really going to talk about that, but just throwing out there that, yes, at that level, you would need to bring your own lights as well. Now, the same thing goes for the absolute bottom of the barrel shows at bars and coffee shops. A lot of times at those venues, you as the artist do have to bring your own sound. And I mean, lights at that level are probably going to be a joke. But if you have lights, you know, feel free to bring them if there's space. Then in the middle, between the absolute bottom of the barrel shows and the absolute massive shows, there's a comfortable range where you're playing clubs or smaller theaters. And at those shows, the venue is expected to provide sound and a crew to run it for your show. So it's kind of weird how it's sandwiched. Like the smallest shows and the largest shows, you bring your own gear and the middle shows, the venue has it. Now, there's different reasonings for that. One of them being that smaller venues typically are just not that good. While larger venues, when you're at that level, if you're selling 20,000 tickets, you want the best possible sound. So you're going to bring a PA that your engineer knows because they use that same PA system every single night. And a lot of times the engineer will actually work for a company like Claire Brothers, which is a big PA company. And you will hire Claire to provide the engineer and the PA and any extra crew that's needed and take them along on the road with you. And, you know, you might have the same engineer tour after tour if you request them, or you might have a different engineer every single tour. It all depends on how that works, but that's the biggest level of shows. And I'm not going to talk about that too much in this episode because that doesn't really apply to most independent artists. So what do you do if you are not playing those mid-range shows yet where there is a PA at, you know, probably 95 to 99% of the venues? The first thing that you need to do is anytime you're inquiring about booking a show, 
at a venue, confirm the availability of a PA and someone to run it before you accept an offer. Because unless you're a solo acoustic act, you're not going to be able to play a show without a PA easily or at all. That's just not something you want to do. You don't want to ever show up to the venue and there's no PA or there's no one to run the PA. Both of those situations are bad if they're a surprise to you. The next thing is to figure out how or if you can provide a PA for any shows where the venue doesn't have one. Because you got to keep in mind that if they don't have one, you typically are also going to need someone to set it up and run it for you unless you can mix from the stage while you're playing, which is not recommended. It's so much better if you have an engineer actually working your mix during the show rather than just setting a static mix and forgetting about it. That's not the way you want to go if you want people to actually enjoy your set. Now, towards the end of the episode, I'm going to talk about how you can get paid for bringing a PA for those crappy venues who don't have their own PA because they really should have one and it's not your problem if they don't. So you're going to be charging them rental for that. You're also going to be passing on as a show cost the amount that you're paying to your engineer. But before we get there, let's talk about what you need for a PA system. And this all depends on your act, but at a minimum, you're going to need a mixer. Personally, I would just go digital. It's so cheap these days, and it's going to have a lot more features than a analog board. And especially if at some point you have to end up mixing yourself, even though I say you don't ever want to do that, digital is going to let you mix via an iPad from the stage, and you can walk around with that iPad if you get a chance, and you can mix from the audience in different positions. So you don't ever want to go in with an analog board and end up mixing yourself. Whereas if it's digital, you might have a chance of making it sound halfway decent. The next thing is you're going to need microphones or direct input boxes for all the sources that need amplification. So obviously your vocals are going to need microphones. You might need mics on your guitar cabs. You might need mics on your drums. It all depends. And then you're going to have a DI box probably for your bass. If you have keys, you're going to have a stereo DI box for that. It really depends on the setup you have. If you have questions about this, I was a production manager for three years, something like that. I don't know, for quite some time. So I'm happy to talk about this. You know, just hit me up on Instagram at madrockxvx or shoot me an email, james at bandhive.rocks. And I'm totally happy to nerd out about gear with you and help you put together what you need. The next thing after the mics and DI boxes is cables. You're going to need a bunch of XLR cables, which are microphone cables. You're going to need some quarter inch cables, probably. Ideally TRS, because if you use TS cables, then you might get buzz, which crash course TRS stands for tip ring sleeve. That's a balanced cable or a stereo cable. While TS is just tip sleeve, and that's going to be like a guitar cable or a uh, powered cable from the amps to unpowered speakers. Then you're also going to want one monitor per member of the band, unless you have like a massive band. But typically, if you're a four piece, I would say four monitors. If you're a five or six piece, you'd want five or six. Beyond that, then, you know, you're going to have trouble fitting on a small stage and you're going to have less and less space as you add monitors. So at that point, you might cap it at, you know, five or six monitors, even if you're like eight people on stage. And you're also going to want to make sure that the mixer that I mentioned earlier has enough outputs to give each of those monitors an individual mix because that makes it so much easier to play if everybody has their own mix. So let's just say that you're a fairly basic rock trio. You have guitar, bass, drums, and two vocalists. And for a room up to about 100 cap, you can get away with mics for your kick, snare, guitar, and vocals. 
and a DI for bass. On your kick drum, I highly recommend the Audix D6 if you're a rock band. You cannot beat that for rock sounds. It's just that is the mic for rock. At least, you know, if you're playing like classic rock or something, maybe not. But for modern rock, hard rock, metal, punk, anything like that, the D6 is absolutely the way to go. For your snare, you're going to use an SM57 made by Shure. And the same thing for the guitar, you're going to use the SM57. On vocals, it depends on your setup. Personally, I would recommend the Shure Beta 58, which has a narrower polar pattern, which is basically the way the mic picks up sound that is being projected at it. And a polar pattern that is narrower means there's less off-axis sound getting in, so less sound from the sides, and really you have to be right on the mic. However, if you like to cup the mic as a singer, which you should never do, but if you do, then I would go for the Audix OM7. Alternately, if you have trouble staying right on the front of the mic, I would just go for the classic Shure SM58 rather than the Beta 58. For most people, the Beta 58 is going to be fine. One thing to note is you never want to put a monitor right behind a Beta 58 or any other hypercardioid or supercardioid mic because they do pick up a little bit from the back in exchange for not picking up as much from the sides. So you'd want the monitors angled off to the side a little bit rather than right behind the mic. For the DI off of the bass, you can use the Amps XLR out if it has one, or you can use a generic DI box, and that'll be good enough most of the time. You don't need a super expensive DI box because chances are the bass amp is going to be plenty loud anyway, and you're just going to need a little bit of reinforcement on you know the top end or something like that. Then you can get a basic 16-channel rack mount mixer and an iPad. The X32 rack is a really popular choice. I enjoy that one quite a bit. It works well, and any recent iPad can be used to control it. And you don't need anything special. You can get like the 64 gigabyte iPad for probably about $330 these days. And that's new. If you want to get a couple years older and get a refurb or a used one, you'll pay even less. I did just use a Presonus Studio Live system for the first time, or their newer systems for the first time the other day, and that was fantastic. However, I haven't used their app. I was mixing on the actual board, so I can't speak to that. But if the app is anything like the board, I highly recommend that you would get one of the Presonus rack mount mixers because it just it worked so well. As far as cables, going back to that, you might need an XLR snake, but if you plan on keeping your mixer on stage, then you could just leave that there and you know put it by the drummer or side stage and run individual lines to it without needing a mixer. Now, one thing with cables, you should never go for the cheapest option because they will break really quickly, but you also don't need to go for the top-end gold-plated Megami or anything like that. That's just a waste of money, especially for live. In the studio, maybe that 0.2% difference is going to make a difference, but when you're playing live, no, it's not worth it. Now, if anyone in the band knows how to solder properly, you can make your own XLR cables, and that can be super cost-effective. I buy supplies from a company called Redco and then make my own cables, and it's a lot cheaper than buying them. Yeah, you know, it takes an afternoon to make a handful of cables, like 10, 15 cables, but it is so worth it because, first of all, I know how to fix them if there's ever an issue, and second of all, it does save quite a bit of cash. So if you have time and you know how to solder, give that a shot. And of course, you're also going to need stereo mains. So that means you're going to have a left main and a right main, and that's what the audience is going to hear. And Without that, the PA doesn't have a purpose. 
because if you just have the monitors, well, what are they going to hear? You're not going to have mains. You need those mains and you need the monitors. So those are the basics of what goes into a PA system. But what about running the system? I'm going to guess that somebody in your band has a little bit of audio experience and can understand live sound basics. If not, you're going to need to designate one member of the band to learn how to operate your board, how to set up the system, all that kind of stuff, who can be in charge of that aspect of your production. It's pretty simple as long as you learn how to avoid mistakes like feedback. That's going to be the person who's kind of the point for any production discussion with your band. They'll effectively be your production manager. And then they are going to be in charge of finding someone to run sound for you. And they will show that person how your system gets set up, because even if the person knows how to run sound, they might not know your system. And then anytime you hire that person, the cost should be passed on to the venues that you're going to play. Now we're going to go to the cost of all of this, because it's a lot. Buying your own gear, maintaining your own gear, all of that adds up super quickly. But simply put, you're just going to charge a rental fee to any venues who don't have their own PA or crew. For example, if you spent $4,000 on gear, and you are probably going to spend about four dollars to $6,000 if you are buying a full PA, and you want to break even after 10 shows, you would structure your pricing something along these lines. When you get an offer, you would have the band, whatever amount you normally charge. Then you're going to have sound rental of $400, because that's 4,000 divided by 10. And you're going to have an engineer, which in this example, let's say $150. So after 10 shows, you would be making a pure profit on the sound equipment rental. And of course, you've got the added advantage of bringing along a sound person who knows your sound and your setup, which will make your shows sound better because you have a person who knows your set, your playing style, what you want to sound like, rather than just some random person who has never seen you live before mixing you. So what you do is you work this into your agreement with the venue, and you make it clear that what you charge as an artist is separate from the production costs, the sound and lights. If they want to provide the equipment, then they don't need to pay those costs. So you're basically saying, since you don't have a PA, we're going to charge you this much extra. On the other hand, if you end up giving them a PA system for free as part of your normal artist fee, you're encouraging those venues to not have their own PA system and let them continue the abusive practice of making artists bring their own PA without compensating them for it. Because if a venue realizes they can get away with it, they don't have to pay for a PA or a person to run it, and all the bands are just going to bring it for free, of course they're going to do that. They don't want to pay for it. So my point is, you should get into the habit of asking every single venue or promoter that you're working with about a PA before you book the show. Because not only will that make your life much easier, but it will also potentially open a new income stream for your band when you're charging rent on the gear that you are bringing due to their failure to adequately prepare for the shows that they're booking. This is what major artists in amphitheaters and arenas do, and you can and should do the same thing. This is what's called a show cost. So, Potentially, you know, if you're getting a split deal, you'll get that money before the split. So let's say that you're going to do a split deal. You don't have a guarantee. You just have the split. You have the sound rental of $400 as a show cost and the engineer of $150 as a show cost. Then let's say another $150 for security from the venue. That means there's $700 total 
in the show costs. And the venue is 100 cap with $15 ticket prices. That means your gross potential is $1,500 and $800 is going to be the profit at sellout. So let's just say that it does sell out and we're going to do 800 times 0.8 because you're getting 80% after expenses or after break even. So that leaves $640 for you and $160 for the venue. Now that's on top of bar sales and whatever else they get. So yeah, you know, 160 doesn't sound like a lot for them, but that's still like they're, they're doing okay on that. And you get to walk away with $640, right? Wrong. You're walking away with $640 plus the 400 for sound. So that's going to be 1,040 plus 150 for your engineer. So that's, what did I say? 1,040 plus uh, 100 is 1140, 1190 for that one night out of the $1,500 that came in where let's say the venue provided their own sound and they didn't pass on that show cost, or let's say it was $100. So you have $150 for security and $100 for sound, and that leaves you $1,500 minus $250 is $1,250. So $1,250 times 0.8, you would walk away with $1,000, which is a better deal. If you've already paid for the PA, you can make more money by bringing that PA. Yeah, it's more work, but that's why you're getting paid rent for it. Whereas if the venue provides that, and you're not getting paid production show costs, then you're only going to walk away with whatever deal you have. Now, I'm not going to go into all the variations where you could have like a guarantee or a plus deal or something like that. But the main thing is you want the PA system and the engineer, if you're providing them, to be a show cost. That means it's deducted from the door before anything is split, and it basically becomes guaranteed money. The venue pays you that no matter what. They don't say, oh, well, we didn't break even, so you're not getting that. No, that was part of the deal is we get this. It's like a guarantee, but it's a cost. It's not profit for you. It's a cost that the venue is reimbursing to you. So work this out whenever you are going to book a show, ask about their PA system, and then if they don't have one, tell them, we can bring one, but this is what it's going to cost. And you have to accept that or you have to provide your own PA. Let us know. Simple as that. Now, I hope you go and do this because this will make a huge difference across the industry if every single artist really like gets it together and works up the courage to do this and not let themselves get steamrolled by venues and promoters. That does it for this episode of the Bandhive Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope that this episode has shed some light on how you can avoid venues screwing you over by not providing PA systems and making you bring one and lug one and all that for free because you should never, ever be doing that for free. Even if you're playing the show for free or for tips, if they want you to provide a sound system, they should be paying you for that sound system because they, as the venue, are responsible for that. And it's a show cost. That's really what it comes down to. If they won't pay you for a sound system, don't play there. It's not worth it. They're just going to keep screwing over other artists. That's really what I'm going to leave it at for today. I, I don't know what else more I can say about this is if you bring a PA, get paid for it. It's as simple as that. That said, we'll be back next Tuesday at 6 a.m. Eastern time right here in your favorite podcast app with another brand new episode of the Bandhive podcast. Until then, I hope you have a great week. Stay safe. And of course, as always, keep rocking.
Hey you, yeah you, with the headphones or the speakers, you've made it to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. While I still have you here, if you're not already in the Bandhive Facebook community, it would be great to see you there. We have over 600 like-minded musicians who are asking questions, sharing their experiences and advice, and much more. So if you want to improve your band's business, look no further than the Bandhive Facebook community. You can find it by searching for Bandhive on Facebook, that's B-A-N-D-H-I-V-E, or going to bandhive.rocks slash group. Again, that's bandhive.rocks slash group, and that will automatically redirect you to our Facebook community. I look forward to seeing you there soon.